wanted to uh, kind of just acclimate you a little bit to uh, how I do things. Um, my call is to open up God's Word and speak into you, so to speak, uh, your identity. I think sooner or later you realize as a Christian that you cannot live out of emotion or out of the flesh, out of your own abilities, um, but that God has designed you for such a time as this. When I was saved, I grew up with the name Jeremiah and hated it. There was that song, you know, all that. And uh, yeah, the younger generation doesn't know. Let's not bring it up. Um, but uh, I got saved in 1995 and responded at a Billy Graham crusade in California after I'd been discharged from the military. And I opened my Bible and uh, there's a book in there with my name on it. And I'd known that. And I opened up to the first chapter and it was just screaming to me. God comes to this teenage pre-prophet who's actually in priesthood training. And God says, before you were born, I knew you and I formed you. And that is true for every person who's ever been, who is, and who ever will be. He knows your identity. He knows who you are. And so I just want to give you freedom, um, and you need to take responsibility for that. I'm, I've, just, I've had to grow into this over the years. Everybody kind of has their own way of handling these things. I don't do that long altar call, you know, pulling teeth. And we're in COVID. I don't want your diseases on me, you know, and you don't want diseases from each other, and you want to keep space, and we get it. And those of you who are online watching, there comes a point in your life where I've just seen it with my own eyes that when you respond to him, it's just, we have a saying around city takers, when are you saved? The moments the cheeks leave the seat, man. Didn't know you were that uptight. But the point is, is that, uh, yeah, man, dude, Jesus and I've seen it. I was in, um, I was in uh, a church last September. Oh, man, this was actually two Septembers ago. And um, a lady was going blind in her right eye. And she came up and said, you know, and just, she just shared it with me. And we both knew we were supposed to pray for her. And we laid hands on her. And uh, her, she was healed instantly. I was praying with a man in November, uh, one of my family members, who is in horrible health, and he smoked for over 50 years, and uh, he looked at me and he said, I want you to pray for me, uh, I want to quit smoking. And uh, we laid hands on him, and he texted me, he Facebook messaged me last week, and he's like, I have not had a desire for a cigarette, I haven't smoked since you prayed with me. <laughs> If he speaks to you tonight, take ownership of that. If you need to respond, respond. Yeah, if you want us to pray for you, we'll pray for you. If you want to grab me in the lobby, do so. If you're online, all you have to say is, I want that. I want that. And then message to the church. Hey, this is what God's doing in my life. And then come back the next couple nights. I want to begin in Titus tonight. We want to get to Ephesians but I want to give you an introduction, and of course, the same writer who wrote to uh, his protege, Titus, also wrote in Ephesians. Hope you can see this. We're not going to go too detailed tonight. I'm not known for my artistry. 
It's, imp- it's impressive, isn't it? But I want to give you, if I can, maybe. We're going to write a Greek word down here called ecclesia. You may not be able to see that. And then we're going to give you a, a couple more here as we go along. When Paul writes to his protege, Titus, uh, he begins in Titus chapter 1 with the first four verses as an introduction. And it's, it's a really intimate, it's an intimate letter. There are three letters in our New Testament that we call pastoral letters. Uh, Paul writes, of course, to churches and addresses churches, and those are very real. Those are very, uh, you know, very, very um, significant letters in how the church is to operate. And, and of course, those pass through the hands of, of Timothy, who was an apostle, through Titus, who was an apostle, through several of his, Silas, who was an apostle. Um, but you have certain letters, Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy, which are letters written to individuals. And as you'll note in verse 4 of Titus chapter 1, uh, Paul calls Titus his son in the common faith. There's a father-son language, and it's, it's beautiful. It's a little strange in light of that intimate, lang- intimate language, and especially since this is a private letter to Timothy, the f- what would seem to be the formality of, of, of the letter. I mean, to someone that, that close, you would think it would be more like, dude, what's going on? I miss you, something like that. But it begins with what seems to be so formal, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, and so on. It seems really formal, but one of the ways that was not just significant to Paul, but was characteristic of their writings in this time period is that the way that they introduced themselves reflected their identity. And one thing I love about Paul Paul, who was an apostle, and that term is totally misunderstood, which we'll be able to clear some of that up tonight. But what I love about Paul, who is this apostolic figure in the early church, is he looked to the churches in whom he ministered to, and he says, listen, follow me as I follow Christ. That's, that's so huge. Just do what I do. You realize you're saying that to your kids. Seriously, you're saying that to people you work with. You're saying that to the, to the guy at the gas station. You're, you're saying that because I see the ichthus on the back of your car. Drive like I drive. It's mission. So he begins this letter, and I just want to kind of speed through this because this is kind of introductory to really what he expands in Ephesians, which is really what I want to get to the rest of this week. But he says, Paul says, I'm a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for, and that's like for this reason. So his identity is wrapped up in being a servant and an apostle. A servant is really easy. In the New Testament, you and I are not servants. We're sons and daughters of God. Okay? All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Get this. There's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female. Your identity is not in your gender. Seriously. Your identity in the body is sonship. There's equality. There's significance. That I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son or I'm a daughter. Now, there is son and daughter. There are genders, okay? 
I've got a marker board. Lighten up, okay? Evangelistic humor, okay? So there, there, is, there are genders, okay? There are genders. But the identi- my identity comes in how he sees me, his call for me. My, my identity is in, in relationship and intimacy with him. Now, it's interesting, however, that he calls himself a servant, and the term servant is used all over the New Testament. Paul expands on this term, as, as he does in several of his, of his other letters, but he expands on this, in this term specifically in Philippians when he talks about the very nature of Christ being that he took on the nature of a servant. Okay? So there are no servants, there are only sons and daughters of God. But how you, identif- how you identify a son or daughter of God is that they have the same nature as Jesus, which is that of a servant. There's no such thing as a self-centered Christian, period. It's, we're literally filled with his nature. How he sees is how I see. How he feels is how I feel. That's that servant terminology. So Paul says, listen, I'm literally coming to you. You want to know who I am? Titus, my true son. I'm writing to you as one who's filled with the very nature of God. What's going on in him is supposed to go on inside of me. There's a consistency there. Then he says, I'm an apostle. The term apostle is used in three ways in our New Testament. The first way in which it's used is describing a specific group of people, which we call the 12 apostles, which were the disciples who end up being the 12 apostles. That is a closed group. There will never be a 13th. In fact, it was so significant that there was, spoken by Jesus, there was heavenly prophecies by Jesus spoken over them about what they were going to do in the coming kingdom, setting over the 12 tribes of Israel, being the foundation of the new kingdom. When Judas abandoned his apostolic calling, they had to have a replacement. And the qualifications of that kind of an apostle are given in Acts chapter 1 and 2, Acts chapter 2 in particular, They had to be around, Peter says, from the baptism of Jesus up through his ascension. And among the 120 that were at Pentecost, only two of that group qualified. Matthias and the guy who didn't make it. (laughs) Barabbas, is that his name? Barabbas, Matthias and Barabbas. And so the decision was made and the Holy Spirit was there and, and Matthias was chosen. We've heard people over the years talk about, well, that place was actually reserved for Paul. Paul didn't qualify. Not for that specific group. So 12 apostles, closed group, specifically chosen by God for Jesus to carry out the message in a very unique role. 12 apostles, first way it's used in our New Testament. The second way that term is used in our New Testament is the way Paul defines it in Ephesians chapter 4, which is an apostolic ordination. You know what ordination is? Ordination is a call by God that's recognized by the body. I hear people all the time say, I don't believe in membership. That's because you don't understand. Membership's not bad. Membership is accountability. Um, I was pastoring in Tennessee a number of years ago. And I had a guy show up to my church and he goes, I'm a prophet. I was like, good for you. He's like, I want to speak to your church on Sunday morning. I was like, that ain't happening. He's like, but I'm called to be a prophet. I don't doubt that. Well, then why can't I come in? I said, do you understand ordination? He said, no, and I wasn't being callous or rude. I said, 
you can have a call, but a call is always recognized by the body and you're held accountable to that body. That's what, that's what a calling, that's what ordination is. We, give, we recognize your call and we give you a platform to exercise that call. That's what ordination is. Paul talks about apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, shepherds. Those are offices in the early church. An apostle, by the way, became, and it, you, I don't, you don't want all the history. I would love to tell you about it, but you can go back in the first century and look at some of the difficulties. And, you, and you, we even have it outside of the scriptures, but we even have it inside the scriptures, specifically some of the tension between Paul and Peter and Paul and apostle and, and these kinds of rubbing that took place in terms of their apostolic ministries. But when it came to the, to the late second century, even into the third century, the term apostle began to be used, in, used less and less, and the term missionary began to be used. In fact, we talk about Paul's four apostolic journeys as his four missionary journeys. So apostle has to do with missional. It's missional ministry. Second, second way it's used in the New Testament, and that's very general. The third way it's used in the New Testament is the general missional call that all of us participate in. You may not have a specific ordinating, ordination call to be a pastor, or let's say an easier one, an evangelist, but you still feel the burden for your next door neighbor from time to time. And when you sit underneath, I mean, you sit underneath a prophet, you're going to receive a prophet's reward. You sit underneath a teacher or an evangelist, you're going to have a teacher or an evangelist reward. You're going to have their influence, and you're going to operate in that. And so the church is to have, as Paul talks about it in Romans, this apostolic missional calling. That's his identity. So when Paul introduces himself, just succinctly and quick, he says, I'm, listen, I'm filled with the nature of my Father, and I'm sent by him. I'm giving my life in his nature to what he's calling me to. And he says that I'm a servant and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ for this reason. And he says, I'm for one, the faith of God's elect, and the two is the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness, because there is no godly living outside the knowledge of the truth. That's interesting. So Paul says, I'm driven, I'm sent with his nature for this reason, the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. We're only going to talk about just briefly the faith of God's elect, which is going to lead us into where he expands on that in Ephesians. But I want to talk a little bit about faith. When he says, I'm sent for the faith of God's elect, what, what does that mean? Do you know, you know righteousness, living rightly, living correctly before God, living righteously is only by faith. We run into legalism. We run into law. Faith is defined in the book of Hebrews and echoed throughout the New Testament the teachings on Abraham. God comes to this guy named Abraham way back in Genesis, earlier part of Genesis. And he takes Abram out, shows him the stars of the sky, tells him about he's going to give him children. <laughs> Abraham's like, dude, Sarah's like, I mean, I'm up there too. But it's impossible. In fact, the scriptures say beyond hope. It's not possible. You ever been in a circumstance like that? God says, the stars of the sky, I'm going to, literally, that's going to be your descendants, and I'm going to change a world through you. 
And it said, Abraham believed, the most profound statement in the whole scripture, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness is when you're sitting there this evening, if you're open, he will, it's not that he might, in the name of Jesus, if you're open, he will speak to you. And when he speaks to you, this is who you, not how you feel about yourself, this is so good, not what your best friend says, not what was spit, not what spit out to you in that argument you had a couple nights ago between, you know, husband and wife, not what the guy, you know, that you went to high school with thinks of you or, you know, your boss or whatever, not what you feel about yourself, not your own limitations, but when you recognize what he says about you and you simply say, I believe that. That's your only responsibility. That's all, that's, that, that was righteousness. I created you for this purpose and this is what I'm gonna do. Love it, I'm in. That's Christianity. Seriously, wouldn't it be phenomenal to just walk in that kind of freedom? That's what righteousness is. I believe everything you say about me. That's Christianity. I want it, I grab it, I receive it, whatever language you wanna use. I'm all in. That's different than law. And, and by the way, what's so phenomenal about the whole faith idea, Abraham was considered righteous when God said that. And Abraham was righteous before the law was ever given. That's like no, you know, there was no like don't do this and make sure you do that. There was no Sabbath day rest. I mean, Abraham golfed like every Sunday. There was nothing on that. Just be tight with me. Just believe what I say about you. Law does not bring righteousness. The law's not bad. It just doesn't produce righteousness. Jesus makes a distinction on this in the New Covenant teachings in the New Testament. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says stuff like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Let's use an easier one. Don't murder. I have, a, I have a guy who lives down the road from me. When I talk about Jesus, he always says, dude, I'm a good guy. I don't kill anybody. You know, I'm like, hey, big fan. Okay, love it. Doesn't make you Christian. Doesn't make you Christian. See, God doesn't, it's not just an activity. It's not just outside stuff. God, God wants you to feel the way he feels. So he says, I'm not just telling you, see, old covenant was don't murder, don't murder. But the new covenant, which is the fulfillment of what he started in Abraham, is I don't want you to even hate. Those are two different things. And I've got some terrible illustrations. Because when you begin to put it in, in, and I try to, when I explain faith to my kids, about what God wants to do inside of me, transforming me. See, when he comes to me, it's never about, I don't want you, Jeremiah, to do this. I don't want you to do that. Jeremiah, I want you to feel the way that I feel. See, what would that look like? It's, it's beyond activity stuff. Here's what I tell my kids. I'll tell you. Uh, I got a neighbor who lives down from me, and I, dude, I hate the guy. I just wish he would die. But I'm a Christian. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to kill him, Okay. 
But if he died, I'd be so much happier. In fact, I called my wife this afternoon, and she was telling me, because we touch base on Sunday afternoon, and she was telling me, right down, everybody's moving to Nashville. It's like the hottest place in the nation for people moving there. And uh, they've expanded the highway from Nashville all the way out to where we are. See you guys. And this is a joke. Don't go away thinking, I'm out of here. This guy's crazy. I'm going somewhere with it. Clarify that, you know, because I do, people go to the bathroom, come back, you bleed that guy? No, no, he turned it around. <laughs> so anyway, Corinna calls me today, and um, because there are all the, all the traffic and the expanding of the highway and the construction, there's accidents, 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 accidents everywhere. And uh, I get this call uh, from, all right, I, we're talking today, and she says there was another accident, but this one was a fatality. And the first thing I thought was, oh, let it be him. But I'm not going to kill him because I'm a Christian. I hear people talk about, you know, I'm a Christian. Everybody struggles. You have all these kind of general language, and some of it I get, I, I know. But what do you mean? Because if anyone would, have, would hear me talking like that, they'd be like, that guy's crazy. That guy's crazy. See, God wants me to feel about that guy the way he does. I'm not going to kill him, but love it. Love it. But what if you could see him through the eyes of Jesus? Seriously, God, God wants to change your heart. That's a faith thing, not a, not a in a box, not doing. And Jesus goes down the list. I mentioned adultery. It's a little bit more difficult, but he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Hey, don't cheat on your husband. Don't cheat on your wife. I get it. But I tell you, don't even lust. Because if you've lusted in your heart, you've already done that. Well, what would that look like? Well, if you've ever seen my wife, she is. She's, I married the best looking girl in college, you know, but she's getting older and, uh, I mean, she's still pretty, but she's got some miles on her. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, but I, I'm not going to cheat on her. I'm not going to cheat on her. I love her, okay? But there's, you know, she can't live forever. And uh, if she dies, I'm going younger for sure and less lippy. In fact, you know, I just keep my eyes out and, you know, keep a little, keep a little, the churches I go to, hey, you know, something goes wrong and but I'm not going to cheat on her. I'm kidding, okay? But anyone who would hear me say that would be like, that's so wrong. Because we identify the heart. There's something wrong with the heart. There's something wrong on the inside. Yeah, don't, don't commit adultery, but dude, I'm supposed to see my wife. That's a faith thing. I'm supposed to feel about my wife the way that he feels about her. That there's a governing of my eyes. It's not just a, wouldn't it be terrible as a Christian to live your whole life just resisting what you really want to do? Dude, that's not what this is, that's what, not what this describes. This describes being a new creation. This is the language that he's using. I am, I'm filled with this nature and I'm driven. There's no have to. I get carried away. There's no have to. There's no must. 
my whole makeup on the inside. And Paul says, I come that you can have that. That righteousness is not based on what you do. Righteousness is based off how you feel. And he wants me to feel the way he feels. Now, which should tell you tonight, and we all know, dude, you know yourself better than anyone. What do you, see, the problem of sin is not what you do, it's what you long for. Sorry, I tell people that all the time. I think this is an appropriate illustration. It's a true story. I was in a state. I went to a prison to see a guy that I knew who had been sent to prison. Um, he was in the trial stages. But he was ended up finding guilty because this was years ago, being found guilty. And he, was, um, he had abused a child, a, a, young, a young child. And when I went to see him, he didn't want to see me. But he ended up seeing me. And because he knew I was going to talk to him about Jesus, and he was so convinced, you hate me. And I was like, I don't. And he said something to me. He was just so open about it. He said, what I like, you hate. What excites me sickens you. I don't have to make myself do that. See, sin is not in the activity. It's on the inside. See, the real ugly thing, for example, of pornography is not, it's not just watching sexual activity on a screen. It's that you want. See, freedom from sin is the delivering from the want. That's phenomenal. You're like, is that possible? Yeah, it's called the good news. Seriously, I got great news for you. You mean I don't have to live the rest of my life wanting to do or not wanting to do what I really want to do and then put on it. No, you could be a new creation. He wasn't kidding. I don't think God said, be holy as I am holy. Just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, I don't think he said, be holy as I am holy and threw this out there knowing we'd never. Did you have, you, that's the good news our world wants. You don't have to, like, what if depression could be solved by a movement of God through your hand? That this is the stuff that our world longs for, not preachy stuff. We're the sons and daughters of God. We bring hope. We release prisoners, captives free. <laughs> that's, that's who our body is. This is what Paul's saying. See, Paul says, this is the core of who I am. I come for the faith. This is what I come for. He gets to the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, which is outstanding. It's growing. It's understanding who he is. I wish we had time to talk about knowledge. We may get to it this week. But he says, I come that you might have faith. But he words it really weird. He says, I come for the faith of God's elect. You're like, that sounds like exclusive language. It is. He doesn't come for those who are not elected. God is really into category language. He's really into category language. Heaven is a category language. Heavenly realms is a category language. Hell is a category language. One of the things I've studied for years, which really has come together in recent months, is when God comes in, in light of Satan. You understand God is a God of love. 
And Satan hates. He says, I don't want to be anywhere where you are. And God says, man, that's, God says, I'm everywhere. God says, everything comes from me. God says, here's what I'm going to do. God says, I'm going to reach into myself because everything comes from him. And I'm going to open up a little category. And I'm going to take everything familiar with me that smells of me out of there. But I'm going to sustain it because all things come from me. But I'm going to open up this category and I'm going to pull everything of me out of it. And Satan and your angels, if you don't want me, you can go there. I wonder what we would call that place. Hell. Because that's what, that's what a place like that would be. Hell is where God is not. And it's a category. And it was created for the devil and his angels, and you and I are not to go there. And so God comes to us and says, listen, I've, I've prepared a place for you. And that whole sin and separation of God thing, already taken care of it. In fact, I've already forgiven you. All you have to do is accept it. And I've created a place for you. And it's this category. And Paul calls it here, the category is the place of the elect, which means chosen. And Paul says, I come exclusively for that group. I don't come for this group. If you're not in here, Paul says, I'm not talking about you. I'm coming for this group. I've had trouble with that over the years. Ephesians chapter 1. I've had trouble with that over the years. I've never liked choosing and not choosing language. And I've had people come up and say, well, I have a, I have, that sounds, Jeremiah, like God chooses some to be saved and he chooses some not to be saved. Yeah, that's biblical. You're like, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, how could you come to that conclusion? I can read is one. Well, what do you mean God chooses some to be saved and some not to be saved? Yeah, this group here are those who are saved. And this group here are those who are not saved. What you're really asking and the problem we really have is where do you have to be? You don't have to be here. Paul calls this, and again, there's a number of names to it, and I can't wait till we get to this one. But he calls this in Ephesians the in Christ or in him. It's in him, several prepositions, in Christ, in Jesus. There's several different kinds. But everything in terms of your identity and my identity is in Jesus. It's like, it's like God reached down in humanity and said, listen, man, I've got to save humanity. Adam has turned from me and his entire, we've, we've got to redeem them. God says, I've got an idea. I'm going to reach down in and I'm going to open up this category and I'm going to put salvation there. I'm going to put, I'm going to put everything that I could ever give them right there. And then I'm going to invite them to get in there. In fact, I'm going to pay the price to keep everybody from saying they can't get in there. There's no, there's no, there's no you can't come in language. To an entire world, Jesus says, I've got good news. Everybody's invited. You do not have to remain the way you are. 
Seriously, and which is scary because that means all your excuses are gone. Well, I was raised in an abusive home. Doesn't matter. I have an, inclin- I have an inclination to. It, it doesn't matter. My personality, well, we do get that, but it doesn't matter. Well, I'm a male or I'm a female. I was abused. I was dropped on my head. I was, I was, I was. Doesn't matter. He will save his people from their sins. Unless there is no unless. Is that sinking in? That's huge. See, he's come for the faith of God's elect. And this group here is what's called the elect. Listen to how, and, and again, in Ephesians, it's in him, although elect language is, chosen language is still used. Just read through just a bit of this. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says in verse 4, he chose us in him. In 5, he predestined us through Jesus Christ. It's a different preposition. And you go down, I don't want to read through all these, but over and over, all the way down through verse 14, it's always in him, in Christ. Verse 9, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good, his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined. So let's go back and look at the first one in verse 3, and we'll expound on these this week. But he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You mean, I'm blessed? Yes, you are. With what? With everything. There's not one blessing you don't have available to you. But where's it at? It's in him. Well, I don't have it. Get in him. See, God's not going to bless out here. See, out here are murderers, liars, all kinds of things. He's not, you know, go through the list. Get your dictionary. See, he's not, he's not going to bless them. God says, I'm not blessing them, man. Where's he putting his blessing? Right here. It's waiting for you. It's a true story, 100% true story, and all my stories are hilarious. Just my life. I'm sitting in this gas station in my hometown, and I have a bunch of Christian t-shirts, which you should buy and take home, and I'm in line, and this kid in front of me turns around and sees it, and it says, my, it says reject religion, embrace Jesus. He looks at me, and he not only said, dude, that's a cool shirt, check out mine, he had a Christian shirt on. And so I was like, oh, dude, that's because he's a young guy, college student. I was like, dude, that's awesome. You a Christian? He goes, yeah. I said, me too. We just like connected. I was like, wow. Like besties. <laughs> We're talking and all this and man, what God's doing in his life, it was awesome. Then it's, it's, and people in the gas station see us and there's a line and all this, you know, the six foot stuff. Well, actually, this was before that. So it's his turn and finally he goes up there. And he goes, I want, and he's pointing to the lottery tickets, and he goes, I want this one and this one and this one. 
and he lays his money down. He turns around, and he goes, pray for me. And it just, I struggle. I have like, I struggle with filters. So it just like, it just came out. He goes, pray for me. And I went, yeah, you're not going to win. And everybody in the whole place like looked at me like I was a jerk. I was like, what? And I looked at him, I said, if you aren't responsible with what you have, how can he give you more? Seriously. He, he wants to bless you. But if your finances aren't in him, he cannot. I've met Christians that there's no, people's like, oh, God wants to give me a million dollars. I believe it. I do, but I don't, I don't think he can. Well, why? Because you can't steward 45000 a year correctly. And a million, if, if God would have given me a million dollars as a brand new Christian, it would have killed me. You know why? Because I'd have leaned on a million dollars and not on him. You, you understand that's what tithe is, right? Not, I'm not talking about giving, I'm talking about tithing. Tithing is not giving money. Tithing is I take spiritual responsibility for what God's doing in my body. The first fruits of my life. I'm owning this. I see tithe expressed in our world in terms of like hunting, vacations. I love it when college students say, I'm broke. Really? Is that an iPhone, what, 40 I see over there? What do you have? Yeah, you're not that broke. I have nothing to eat. <laughs> Sell that dude. Seriously. That's not tithe. See, so like literally blessing is is well, I don't, I don't, I'm not blessed. It's a telltale sign, dude. You want to know where Jesus is not in your life? Look where it's fallen apart. I want to be your friend. Don't look at me like that. I'm telling you, it's the truth. God will not bless this. He's not going to bless liars. He's not going to bless thieves. He's not going to bless murderers. He's not going to bless the immoral behaviors of a, of a, of a broken world. He's not going to put a stamp of approval on it. I'm not going to let that proliferate. That's the whole thing, and we don't want to go into all this, but I've been dealing with this in, in Genesis. That's the whole, the whole reason that he cut Adam and Eve off from the garden and wouldn't let them live forever. I'm not going to sentence you to that. Wouldn't it be terrible to be married and meshed with brokenness for eternity? I don't want that for you. I'm not going to marry, I'm not going to let you marry yourself to that. So the things that happen to us that causes pain and brokenness, which is separation, is grace. You're all like, it's incredible, isn't it? He says, I blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Well, I don't see it. It's waiting for you. Come and get it. I've tucked it away in him for you. <laughs> Which is incredible. He says in verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. I want you. And in him... He's got, the, he's got the answer for what you're going through. 
It's the plan for your life. It's the solution. And he's tucked it away. I chose you. And what he chose for us is to be holy and blameless in his sight. I've taken how I want you to feel, how I want you to see all your reactions, the victory over your emotions, and I've hid it in him. This is the faith of God's elect. He'll he'll end up moving on. We're going to go through each of these individually, slowly and painfully. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you're going to want to come. He says in verse 5, he predestined us. (laughs) This is the best story ever. Probably shouldn't be on tape. But I was in this room with all these pastors, and I'm the holiness guy in my area, and it's predominantly Reformed theology there. And I get up and I'm talking about predestination. And there was like one other holiness guy in the room. And he's like, you believe in predestination? I was like, yeah. And he looked at me like, you're betraying us holiness people. And I had all these new reformed friends over here. They're like, yeah, we got one. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's going, it was hysterical. He's like, how could you believe in that? I said, well, first off, the, the word predestined literally means limited in its core understanding that God limits that before the foundation of the world he wills for us he predestines us I've got a plan for you and he limits he limits that plan until you're able to steward it well we do the same thing Uh, I uh, I'm not a big hunter but I come from a long line of hunters and they're I mean they're weird they they shoot, kill animals, cut their heads off, decorate their house in it. It's weird, but that's how people are. And so we get guns and stuff inherited to us. And uh, I got a pistol, a really nice 9mm, uh, decorative and, and useful and all that, that was passed down to my son. And I remember when he was two years old, I was like, let's just give it to him. Seriously. I loaded that sucker, threw it in his toy box. You know, I said, go at it, dude. And Crandall's like, are you crazy? I'm like, it's his. She goes, it's predestined. It's predestined. Is it yours? Absolutely. Can I touch it? No. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, he does. And he gave it to you. I want it. You're not ready. If you're not a good steward, how can he give you? Seriously, how can he give you? And what did he predestined? He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. It's his goodwill. Everything that goes along with sonship is yours. We're seated in Christ above the heaven, every heavenly realm. Well, then how come I'm not receiving victory in this area of my life? What area of your life is not right here? Seriously, what area of your life does not belong to him? See, what area of my life that I, I know that's not him, but I just, I want it. Remember what sin is? It brings me comfort. I like it. I struggle. Why do you struggle? Because I got my hand on that.
by the way, in other places in the New Testament, initiated by Jesus, he calls this category his ecclesia, which is improperly translated, beginning with the King James Version, as church. The literal primary translation, you can look at it in any Greek lexicon, and there's a whole story behind why King James did that, which goes back to the Reformation, and there are many kings, King Edward VIII and was going through the same kind of thing, and, and leaving uh, Catholicism because of political reasons and embracing Protestant Reformation, but they had some problem, wanted to maintain control of their area, and choosing specific kind of, there's all kinds of, Ed Savoso does a phenomenal study on this in one of his books. But Ecclesiastes' primary translation is um, gathering. This is where the sons, of God, the sons of God are gathered. When Jesus says, the gates of hell will not overcome my Ecclesia, that's this. Where the sons and daughters of God are gathered. You know what's neat about the word Ecclesia? And you understand, this is bonus material for those of you who have stuck around this long. We're almost done. Jesus spoke... In, in, in his area, more than likely in Aramaic. That was the language of the Jews of his day. The scriptures were not written during Jesus' lifetime. They were not written by him. They were written later in a language that everybody could understand, which was Greek. So when you're reading the red letter, the red letters of Jesus, those are the actual words of Jesus. They're not in Aramaic. So when the early church writings like by Paul and the rest of the New Testament are looking back to what Jesus said in Aramaic and they're translating it through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what he actually was meaning. The word is ecclesia, which is a Roman word that has militant overtones to it. Give you your own little personal research word study to do. Just Google it. Run after it. Look early church Roman ecclesia language. It was a delegation that went in to be subservient to a culture. After they had come in and conquered, Ecclesia would come in, infiltrate, and spread Roman culture. That's us. Yeah, I heard you use the word militant this morning. I'm going to go into my culture because I'm gifted to do so. And I'm living above the things of this world, and there's a spiritual battle in which I'm involved in. And I'm going to go in my culture and I'm going to sow love. I'm going to sow forgiveness. I'm going to sow compassion. I'm going to change the atmosphere. I was driving. True story. I was driving uh, on my way to Nashville. And I'm terrible at playing on my phone. And uh, I drifted. And I hear this big long horn you know, and I'm like driving in the middle of the road. And I get back in my lane, and there's this guy, and he's yelling at me, telling me I'm, you know, number one. And I'm like, sorry, you know, and I get off my phone, and we come to a stop, and it's rush hour, and like, we're both just locked right there on the highway. And I look over at him, and he's livid. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And he's like, bro. I'm like, I need to change the atmosphere. How do I do that? So I beat my horn. He looks over at me, and I was like, <laughs> and he just looked at me. He looked forward, and I peeped again. And he looked at me, and I went, 
and a smile broke across his face, and he goes, and then no matter what I did, he would not look at me. He just kept eyes right forward. I bet that dude got to work and said, dude, you're not going to believe what happened to me on the way to work. I don't, I don't care what it is. I don't, I don't care what, what humor. I don't care what you have to do. But wouldn't it be something if you could invade your world with his attitude, his selflessness, I fall so short of that. I pick up a fence so easily. Paul said, I come that we might live righteously. Not by the law. Well, I didn't, I didn't hit him. How'd you feel about him? I've heard people talk like that. Dude, I wanted to. I mean, I was going to just, but I didn't because I'm a Christian. Are you? Seriously, that's what a Christian is? What are you pumping into the atmosphere? I want to love like it's impossible. I don't want to take up offense. I don't want to get drawn into that. You come in, the lady that's rude to you, just love all over. Just all over your boss, all over your workplace. Take ownership. That's where the, you don't battle against flesh. My problem is not that guy. It's, it's the sin nature, the independent from God, thinking out of the flesh, thoughts, and activities, and patterns of our world that the enemy just seizes on and uses those opportunities. Listen, the, the, our enemy is a spirit, and he sees in the spirit. He cannot read your mind, but he knows when you take off the helmet of salvation and you're thinking out of the flesh. It doesn't matter what you do. You give opportunity. Thoughts and the attitude of the heart. And those of you who are watching and those of you who are here, it's not rocket science. You just look at that area of your life, you're like, I, that's so ugly. And the issue is I don't want to do that anymore. The issue, that's the physical thing. Pitch that. I don't want to feel that way anymore. I don't want to want that anymore. I don't want to respond that way anymore. I don't want to look that way. When I'm poked, I want you to come out. Seriously, what has to die in my life? I, I do. I give up the right for people to treat me the way that I think they need to treat me. I do. Because I had a false identity for years on what a real man looked like, felt like. And you violated that. Oh, that's a worldly idea of a man. And it wasn't until I realized that Jesus was a real man. And there's just areas that have to be let go. I just release that, Jesus. I release addiction. I do. I release it. I release this area of your life. Just take it. I'm not talking about I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want this area of my life to be, this need to be met by me. Because I was created for you to indwell me. I want to feel different. I want to see different. I've still got all, Jeremiah still has his annoying talk too much. <laughs> Dude, I'm a mess. But I love him. That's, that's this stuff. I want to live right there.
I do. I want to live right there. I want to learn to steward him well. I want to be trustworthy of what he can put into my hands. Jesus, we love you tonight. And Father, I, I do. I pray for marriages. It's heavy on my heart tonight. I pray for marriages this evening. Oh, God. Perhaps we're not the... We're not, perhaps our wife has not looked at us as the head of our household because I've not stewarded that well. In the name of Jesus, I ask for, I ask for forgiveness and I repent. Let me steward. Let me steward this position to love my family and my wife as you love the church and you never exploited her, you never used her for yourself. You always responded in love. You put her desires first, her needs first. Perhaps, Lord, she doesn't look to me like that because I've never stewarded that well. I pray for the, I pray for the wife who literally enables her husband to be the man of God that you've called him to be. He cannot be it without her. Forgive us for not praying for our spouse. Forgive the wife who does not pray for her husband. I pray for protection of marriage, Jesus. I pray for that one Lord who's who's really just under the bondage of sexual sin. Would you bring freedom of the heart? In the name of Jesus, we live in a culture where there's, it's, it screams of everything you are not. Bring, bring clarity, bring wisdom, bring insight. Pray for those who are addicted to substances. alcohol, tobacco, the things that calm us, the things that we're holding on to. Father, bring us into financial freedom tonight. Teach me what it means to be a good steward of finances, Lord. In the name of Jesus, you can trust me with money, Lord. I won't use it for myself. I won't even give it away. I'll let you lead. I'll put it where you want, Jesus. It's yours. I'll be a good steward of it. Increase. Let me distribute. Father, as a church, perhaps we don't grow because we're not good stewards with the ones that you've given us. Perhaps my Sunday school doesn't grow. Perhaps you've waited on us to, you've just literally put that neighbor, that coworker in our life, and they're just, they're on the cusp, but we're just, you wouldn't put anybody else here. Father, we live so far underneath the calling in which you just, you're just so willing to give us. We just need to grow deeper into you absorbed into your mind, your word literally shaping and forming us, indwelt by your spirit. Open our eyes, Lord. Give us words that just speak to us. Your sheep hear your voice. So I pray for that one tonight who's just really struggling. Father, whatever they're going through, something emotional, something physical, something spiritual, 
Would you grant freedom this week? Would you, would you protect, eliminate rumors? Would you, pre- what's the word, Lord? Would you protect our uh, reputation for your sake? But would you reveal it and deal with it and squash it in the name of Jesus? There's just stuff we just don't have to go on with, Lord. We ask you to do that this week. Father, we want to spend the next few moments just learning to hear you and listen to you, tell you how much we love you, inhabit the praise of your people. We want to, we want to sing to you. We're going, to, we're going to limit our minds, Lord. We're going to focus on you. What do you want to say to us in the body tonight? I pray for those who are, who are watching online, Lord that you would take what's going on in this room and you would just feed it into their living room, into their car, on their phone, laying back on the bed. Evoke out of them what they need to lay at your feet and just bring healing in the name of Jesus. And we'll give you the praise. Let's tell him how much we love him and in a few minutes, pastor's gonna come and he's gonna give us, uh, he's gonna give us some direction.